whatever you're asking people to do, you have to try to do one or both of these things. And that is to make whatever it is invisible, meaning they don't even know that they're doing it. It's that easy or irresistible. It's that important that it would be unreasonable for them to resist. Welcome, everybody, to Equality Podcast Season 2. We are joined today by Marnie Schmidt, President and CEO of Marnie Schmidt LLC and author of Tribal Knowledge, an expert in ISO, Quality Systems, Certified Six Sigma Black Belt, and all of the bells and whistles, also just a generally great human being. So we're excited to have a conversation with Marnie today about the inclusion of quality systems with Lean and Six Sigma in your business operating system. Marnie, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, we are happy to have you. And I'm just going to, this ring light is not going with my hangover well. So <clears throat> I'm just going to go ahead and there we go. That works. Take, take it away. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Marie? Okay. Uh, I live in Tampa, Florida, home of all of the champions of all of the sports. Um, woo, woo. <laughs> uh, I grew up in uh, professionally in the automotive industry in the Detroit area. And so I had the good fortune. Um, you had a guest that was a, a Megan that was an admin. Mm -hmm. I kind of had that sort of a start, my very first job. And um, just by a weird set of events, I went from that to an opportunity to help out in purchasing. Um, and then I went into quality and I started doing all of these um, supplier visits. So in the automotive business, the company that I worked for was in seatbelts. And so in seatbelts, there are a lot of different things going on. There's steel and there's plating and painting and heat treating and making of webbing and um, plastic injection molding. So I got a really nice preview of lots of different industries very early on in my career. And I could start to see how the quality systems are so similar, depending on whether you're making donuts or seatbelts, it doesn't matter. So it was nice for me, um, just like I think one of your other guests said once before that you kind of fall into quality. I don't think anybody grows up wishing, ooh, I hope I could grow up to be a quality person someday. We all just have such a weird <laughs> pathway into it. And I've just been fascinated with it. And I've grown with it, rolled with the punches and lean came along and that was kind of new. And um, so it's just been exciting. And I learned something new about this um, through working with different industries every day. Well, awesome. uh, it's interesting to know that you were in the seatbelt industry when quality finally clicked for you. <laughs> Buckle up, everybody, because this is as good as it gets. <laughs> well, that's pretty awesome. I will tell you that um, the uh, progress in the industry around uh, consistently producing products um, that meet or exceed technical specifications and needs has largely been driven by uh, transportation, mobility solutions, and the need for safety. Um, so the automotive industry is often upheld as the gold standard. You know, that's probably not fair. It might be like more like aerospace, um, 
but everybody uses a car, right? And at some point we realized we couldn't continue to produce three Sigma outcomes uh, without a lot of people dying on the highways. Um, and that gave rise to kind of an entire industry within the industry around repeatability and scalability and quality. Uh, so it's interesting, you know, seatbelts, that's an example of a, it has to work every time it can't fail, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just like all of us, I think the very first bit of any sort of professional quality training any of us would have had is that example of, you know, the several things. What if if 99% of the planes don't crash? What does that mean? If 99% of the baby seats don't fail, you know, that is that good? And all of that, that's the very first thing that we learn about is, you know, 99% sounds pretty good until it isn't. <laughs> Right, right. When you scale it up, all of a sudden, you know, there's 7 right. billion people on the planet. So if, if 99% of them survive their car trip to work today, uh, it's the worst mass, casual, mass casualty event in human history, right? Right, right. Yeah. And so I, I think then, therefore, what happens is people gravitate toward this field. We tend to be those perfectionists and the people that actually understand that and that pursuit of that last 1%. Um, and, the, and then there's the rest of us. And so then <laughs> already that puts us in a place where we're championing something that isn't necessarily valued by other people right away without some guidance and without some explanation and without some ambassadorship <laughs> yeah. um, to, to get people to understand the importance of it. Well, if yeah. I could just it fanboy, my favorite 1% out of Marnie here is that she takes the driest subject known to human, and that's a weekly update about ISO 9001, and then memes it and makes it relatable. So you already have a special place in my heart for ah, exactly. Thank you. I yeah, can't great, believe. Uh, <laughs> great call out. Uh, definitely, you know, your skill in presenting material. It's often perceived as, you know, put me to sleep material. Um, well done. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, that's just what I can't believe how much time I spend on just that very thing because people will not open that book. They will not look <laughs> at it. I mean, it, they won't do it. They won't, they will not do it. And so I just spend so much time explaining and translating that, which is one of the things that we said we would talk about today is um, just figuring out how to communicate quality to people without communicating to the masses the way we communicate with each other as quality professionals, we really have to use two different languages to get people to hear the message. You know, if we start yeah, talking about the, the, the tools, if we use too many of the tools and too many of the words, people just, you know, <laughs> whatever. But so we, we constantly have, that's why I, I gravitated towards y'all on LinkedIn and, and finding it was really fun for me. Because Jake, the funniest lean guy, are you kidding? Like, <laughs> that's not something you put in a sentence together. I just love it, you know, and we need more of that. And I'm, I am on a mission to get a cool kids table put together of quality professionals and have people start following us. Oh, that would be awesome. And, and being, and being better, being better at what we do. Yeah. So, uh, communication, um, Jake, I'm sorry, I'm going to use some language here that you're going to make fun of, but that's okay. I understand you haven't read a lot of books. Um, but when we, <laughs> when we talk about, 
when we talk about um, exposition, uh, there's really three horizons that influence the way that we um, communicate. And so the first horizon is telling my daughter that she has to go back upstairs and doesn't get any more chickpeas. I like that she likes healthy food, but she has trouble remembering when I'm on a podcast. Um, <laughs> love you, sweetie. Love you. So there's three horizons. And the first is uh, my horizon, right? So if I'm reading a book, like a quality text, that text has to uh, communicate with me and I have an obligation to come to terms with the author, right? So this is not like a critical reading project when you're talking about a quality text, you know? Um, and then there's the second horizon, right? Which is the person that I'm communicating to, right? And then there's the third horizon, which is the bridge between the original text and the final audience, right? And I play the role of sort of introducing that, that bridge. And the methodology there is going to change dramatically depending on who you're talking to. So when two doctors get together, they're using jargon because jargon is precise language that communicates clearly among professionals. If a doctor talks to his patient with jargon, how does she sound? Exactly. Like an asshole. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Well, your uh, left uh, digital phalanges uh, distal end is looking to be a bit medulla oblongata, you know, and you're like, I didn't go to medical uh, school, dumbass. <laughs> That's why I'm paying you. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. For sure. And I think we need to remember, yeah, bedside manner. That's a nice analogy that we, we need to remember that when we talk to people, and I see it all the time, and I'm as I'm sure you do, because we don't get invited in to help uh, with consulting projects without dealing with the quality people that are already there. Right. And sometimes when you see what the company is working with, you're like, boy, where do I start with this guy here or with the project? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I know. Now I know why you called me, right? And as I've gone sort of uh, along, you know, and, and advanced and gained more exposure and experience and opportunity, um, the same things keep popping up. And the gap for most of the companies that I'm helping is always in communication and leadership and interaction between people. You know, if a, here's a great way to think about it. If you have a lean tool, right? If that lean tool or quality tool, whatever, could make you successful, if the tool could make you successful, then there would be no need for a human because you could automate that. So the yeah. fact that we have people in quality, a lot of them, depending on the industry, right, is a great indicator that the tool is not what makes you successful, right? It's the people. Kind of like if you give, you know, 17 people a hammer and say, go build a house, the hammer ain't going to build the house. And if the people can't work together and don't know what they're doing, uh, I'd actually like to see that project. That would probably be pretty interesting. <laughs> or if you're that person who falls into quality and they only know one tool, you know, it's the hammer and then everything looks like a nail. 
and because yeah. that's all you have is a hammer, right? Right. So, um, and, and I see a lot of that as well because the thing about your book, John, about you took a step all the way back and you said, don't worry about anything, but the supervisors, let's figure that out first. I, I like that because there's definitely not enough material out there for that situation that so many people, they're the best operator and they're the ones that are always promoted. And then mm -hmm. it's like, swim, baby, swim. You, they just don't, they're not given anything. They're not, and and, and it, quality people are very similar. They're, there's just like one person that was interested in, for me, it was a weekend um, emergency sorting project at a company that we were making wire harnesses. Um, and that was when I was in college. That was before I even had a, a professional job. And I stayed a weekend and I had calipers and I was able to be measuring something. And it was like, wow, this is super fun. Cause you know, that's just the weirdo that I am, but we fall into that. And then people just go, Oh, cool. Somebody's going to work on quality. Awesome. Cause we all hate it. And then you're kind of left alone and you either pursue the right information and develop a lot on your own. It's a lot of self taught self-development. Um, or you can maybe, maybe you get a mentor and maybe you just like, for me, it was making a lot of mistakes and learning through a lot of years of pain. Um, and, in a, and it was in a rough industry. And so, you know, you try and fail and you try and fail, which isn't the only, you know, it's not the worst way to learn, but there's a lot of better ways. And I'm glad that there is more resources out there for people who are in quality. Um, but I think the one resource that really isn't is something you can't teach, which is personality and, you know, something that you can teach, which is salesmanship. And we need to learn better salesmanship in our, in our profession. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you know, challenging the approach we take to the rate of acceptance is far more important than anything we go to actually change. Exactly. Yeah, it's a it's a both great points, right? So salesmanship, I kind of have a list of uh, skills and wow. OK, so I'm going to branch off a little bit here. So I've been collecting skills that I've found to be most useful for leaders to get the change that they want. And the sales bucket um, is probably at the top of that list. Now, that can be confusing because uh, sales is a broad topic and there's a lot of crap out there on the internet about sales, right? We're not talking about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, right? We are talking about the skills that go into understanding the order in which to address issues versus present features and benefits, persuasion, um, and, and emotional intelligence that goes into that, right? Um, so, so sales is definitely up there, but I heard a, a really interesting podcast the other day and for the life of me, I can't remember. Um, so I can't, can't attribute it, but it was a, uh, Navy SEAL uh, or former Navy SEAL. And he, he wrote a book about attributes and I think it's called the 25 attributes, um, and he was saying he was having trouble training these highly trained Navy SEALs and uh, top brass was really concerned because such a low percentage of these already trained professionals were successfully graduating from this training and they ordered an analysis. And when he got done, he found out that the problem was not skills, it was attributes. And what he meant by attributes were things that are uh, sort of inherent and a lot of it has to do with how you were raised and that sort of thing but can be developed so an example that he gave was 
shooting a gun is a skill and I can train you how to do that in two hours at the range. But the ability to go into a room that has hostels and hostages and know who to shoot and who not to shoot and when to shoot depends on a lot of attributes that are much more difficult right, to develop. So as I've gone through my list, and I hadn't heard that distinction between skills and attributes, and maybe he made it up, I don't know, wish I could credit the guy, but I've started a second column, which is like attributes as opposed to skills, um, where I'm just cataloging, here are the attributes that successful leaders display, and here's some that they, they kind of don't. Um, and definitely when we're talking about quality, operational improvement, anything that involves change, salesmanship is at the top, right? Exactly. Getting people to be comfortable with it, which, you know, there's instant resistance and you can't respond to that resistance and be successful. So you have to, you have to create that, that environment of calm for everyone. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of us just go sideways right from the, from the get-go is, is relying on whatever the reason for the change is, it's regulatory because ISO says. We just love to do that. And it's it, it is rarely, rarely successful. If you can get people to begrudgingly comply, but that's not the same thing as a sustainable change, right? Yeah, uh, going back to seatbelts, great example, right? Do you tell your kid buckle up because Uncle Sam says so or buckle up because it could save your life? right? It's exactly. better for you. Right. Exactly. So Marty, give us a little bit about where you think that gap is in sort of the current state structure of quality systems and continuous improvement as you've seen it and like old original line of quality systems and sort of where all this started from. Well, right. So in my, in my lifetime, my professional lifetime, um, there was QC, quality control. And then we thought, well, that that's just not fancy enough. We need quality assurance because we want to be proactive. Okay, so then we went to QA and then uh, we started to embrace some quality management systems and we started to introduce the idea of risk. And so right at that point, we um, started to separate into risk and quality, like they were somehow really different from one another. So you have then there is a risk management um, industry uh, in and of itself, which is crazy. You, it's just crazy that that we have segmented ourselves to, to the point that we have. And then Lean and Six Sigma came along and we're even, uh, we even have arguments. Y'all make me laugh. Some of the people that will pop off on LinkedIn, continuous improvement versus continual improvement. Lean is not the same as Six Sigma and all of that stuff. And, you know, like we get it, you know, you get it, you get it. Um, and I, so that part, and then we have the old quality QC, QA, quality systems, quality department. And then for some reason, I think a lot of people got very disenfranchised with the ideas of, AS9100 in the aerospace industry, ISO 9001 in general industry, um, IATF 16949 in um, automotive. We got sort of like everybody raced to get certified and then didn't see a better outcome in quality of their products. They just saw more admin and more work and they created positions for people to push papers around and, and they were like, yeah, but what about the quality of the product? And Lean and Six Sigma was all too happy to pick pick up the 
the torch and say, yeah, it's better. So there were so many companies that have sort of said, well, we can't let the quality system go because we have to be compliant. We have to keep our certification to X so that we're just going to let them go do that. Put them over in a closet like Milton in office space. We're just going to move him, move them to the basement and CI is going to be the new champions of improving and, you know, and better quality and, and more profit and less waste and all those things. And so I, I, is that your experience as well, where you work with companies and they have these two things running parallel and oftentimes not really interacting or interfacing at all? Yeah. So I have had a couple of experiences that were fascinating. Um, so I worked for this company that was in the logistics space, not manufacturing. And I had a lot of respect for them because they actually had a vice president of uh, quality and this person was in charge of quality and continuous improvement but interestingly they had two entirely different departments they reported to one guy at the top but you had your quality department and you had your continuous improvement department so the continuous improvement was all really lean uh, I, it, there wasn't a lot of Six Sigma element there, uh, even though they had a Six Sigma certification program in the company and a director of Six Sigma, um, it didn't get used, at least the Six Sigma part didn't, just the lean part. So you'd have somebody doing a black belt and there's literally no statistical process analysis involved. So in my mind, you can't really call that Six Sigma, they weren't using that part of it. And then over here, you know, we had some customers that were automotive, so they had to have their AQUIS certification. Uh, all of our sites were supposed to be ISO 9001 compliant, even if the customer didn't require it. And even if we didn't pay for the certification because somebody didn't want to, um, and we had a business operating system that sort of required compliance there because it's better. Like you said, it's not because we have to, it's actually better for the company, right? And I actually worked at a site that had a lean champion or whatever they were calling them, right? We don't, we don't have traditional job titles anymore, um, but like a lean champion and a quality manager under the same roof, same company, you know, same building. And you want to talk about tug of war. It was interesting to watch. It is interesting. I actually joined a company several years ago. There was a, this is, this is the most extreme example that I've experienced myself. There was a quality department who, by the way, was on double secret probation because their um, ISO certification was in jeopardy. They had several major nonconformances. It was a whole thing. Then they had a CI department. So they had a couple of black belts. And they had another thing happening, um, a sub-business unit of consultants that they had hired to come in and do engineering, which really was a lot of Six Sigma. And they were a lot of black belts. And all three of these areas did not talk to each other. They were at opposite corners of the building. There was no interaction. And I actually found that there, the consultants were writing um, procedures independent of the quality system and the training department that was being 
um, run by HR and there is an environmental piece to it too. So there was a whole curriculum of training for onboarding employees and the new things that had been studied and the process improvements and all of those things that were being re-engineered were not at any point going to intersect with the onboarding of new team members. And so, <laughs> so I got involved right away and said, okay, whoa, <laughs> hey, hi. <laughs> we need to we need to get together and have you know a little conversation and figure out who's doing what. Um, and, and just think of all that money that was being spent on consultants and staff and just duplicated work all over the place in the pursuit of a more efficient operation. <laughs> so in my situation, the uh, quality manager was concerned about maintaining uh, compliance as well they should have been. And the attitude and perspective was was kind of uh, out of alignment, right? The, the team, the group wasn't playing as a team. They were playing as a bunch of individuals. And in this case, anytime a change was made by the continuous improvement department, well, the quality department was concerned that uh, really, like if you if you dug down, right, the real concern was it created a crap ton more work. That was the real concern um, where the quality manager who, you know, was flying solo had to update a bunch of stuff. And really the role that they should have been playing would be to make sure that the company is able to stay compliant and that the quality systems are working uh, regardless of change, because you have to evolve as a company to, to stay relevant and, you know, continue to make money. So the lack of really shared values and, and sort of competing values um, is, is kind of what hurt that group. Um, so I wonder if there's some structural and systemic changes we could make that would sort of mitigate that. Well, I was very lucky. I had the unique experience of being the quality manager at a company when I started training for my black belt. And so um, understanding where I was and, you know, we've, I know y'all have talked a lot about meeting people wherever they are, where we were was not black belt ready, <laughs> not, not by any stretch of the imagination. So I thought also, I don't think training is enough and ever to just go and hear some theory without practicing and, and even getting your black belt, you practice, but a lot of practice is better than a little bit of practice. And so one of the things that I did is I took the things that I initially learned from my Lean and Six Sigma training and turned it back on the quality system and said, kind of let's 5S our quality system because um, it's, messy, it's fat, it's got too much garbage in it, it's not being used properly, um, some things could be reformatted. And so that's what I did uh, as, as my first sort of boots on the ground lean project was to go through the quality system and lean it out. And um, in doing that, I was showing people that they were getting affected that like, we're going to get rid of this form, we're going to get rid of this collection of data point and 
um, people were like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, I don't know. Do you need it? And they said, no, we never thought anybody would ever ask if we could make things simpler. And so that's one thing that we can do is to start, turn the tools on ourselves first to, that's one way to show the way and to integrate those things is to use the tools on ourselves first in full view of everyone and, and be critical of ourselves in full view of everyone so that they can sort of see what that's about. Yeah, I think that's very powerful. So my entire background has been in direct leadership roles, uh, the warehouse operation of a manufacturing operation, of a food operation most recently. And I've seen exactly that time and time again, where the quality system is actually a book that's about this thick. And it's not real clear what actions I'm supposed to take and when. And so most of the people in the quality department don't have a mentor, don't have standard work. And we're just sort of taking a hodgepodge of guessing at what was required last year and playing with that with our daily lives. Instead of turning that inward and going, all right, what do we actually need? Let's create a plan that has real value. Let's remove the things that don't and all learn as a team. So that, uh, that's a soft spot for me. Yeah, me too. And you know, I think there's so much, there's so much opportunity for us all to, to do that and to combine these things. And in fact, now when I go, um, it's not very, it's not very often, but in the last couple of years, I've had more than more than what is usual in terms of people wanting to start a quality system from scratch. So usually I'm a rescue mission. I'm going to go in and, you know, bring something back to life that has just, you know, died and just has been rotting. Uh, I've had some, some unique opportunities with some emerging tech and startups to start from scratch. And that's just such a great place to start so that you don't have that to begin with. And you start by introducing Lean and Six Sigma from the get-go and standard work. And standard work can become an awful lot of the procedures rather than having the traditional procedures and books full of step-by-step-by-step. -by -step -by -step. It's like, let's just make one thing and have it multi-purpose. So it will serve as, as a component of the quality system and will be compliant, but also we'll have something that is building um, us toward lean. And, and as with every piece that we put together, we can grow as an organization into a lean organization right from the very beginning. So um, I like to stitch together, what can we do? Standard work, all the stuff and the 5S and all of that, the, the beginning like kindergarten stuff, when you can build a quality system, just build it around those things and use process maps and because they can later become value stream maps, you know? So there's all kinds of things that we can do by combining all of that stuff and not competing with, because right, if you have a, a quality department and you introduce Lean and Six Sigma, oftentimes, well, for sure, the way, like just like John said, if you impact a process and you change something for the better, whatever you're going to do, take steps out, whatever you're going to do, it's going to affect whatever was written at some point in history by the quality department. And so it's not only creating work for them to update the documents, they get very territorial about it. And I even know my own clients, sometimes I have to, to sort of reset the quality person to say, okay, you can't be the one that's resistant to making an edit on a procedure when something is made. Like if, if we start with you not wanting to make a change because the change of the document, like what kind of document process are you using that it is so cumbersome you can't make an edit? Like 
we where do we go from here? <laughs> yeah, we go nowhere. That's the, that's the answer to that question. Yeah, we go, we go mm-hmm. nowhere. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. See, I like that. Go ahead, John. Well, I like that um, whole paragraph, Marnie. It brings up, you know, kind of three different things to touch on. One is just, look, to make this sort of completely obvious for everybody out there, this is why you need to work with Marnie or people like Marnie because the sort of external marginal uh, consultant right? The additional skill and knowledge and experience that you get there. This is somebody who has experienced a lot of different scenarios and has a lot of different um, examples to draw on and can help you evolve so much more quickly, right? So sometimes the selling point for uh, working with an external vendor on things like this is just, well, I don't have the capacity and that's good. You know, it's a good motivation, but you might have the capacity and still need to work with an external expert because they bring that fresh lens and all of the experience to the table. And of course, we have to set aside our egos, you know, to take advantage of that. Um, But a couple of the other things that you brought up, like when we talk about the uh, quality system and what we can do to make it more efficient and more effective and start the integration journey, right? Uh, yeah, let's let's 5S it ourselves. Uh, two things that sort of worked for me, the first was, again, the, the more I do this, the more um, I see that leadership communication and the soft skills are more important than the technical knowledge, especially as we, you know, have moved into a realm where I can Google stuff, right? And I sat the team down and I said, okay, look, this is like a professional football team. You've got a quarterback, you have a wide receiver, you have a running back, right? You all have a role to play. We're on the same team. We're going in the same direction. And, you know, the business is kind of like the coach or the general manager that says, here's the, you know, the game that we're playing. And our job is to do this, this, and this. And we just shared, here's our job. And so for the quality manager, it was, um, sort of revelatory, wait a minute, what is my role and my function? It's not to guard my territory. It's not to make sure that we're certified. My job is actually empowerment and support of the business going over here. It's going to change. We have to pursue new business, methodology, strategy, continuous improvement. That's not optional. This was in tier one automotive. So, you know, it's, it's pretty competitive, right? My goal is to make sure that we do it safely, right? That's what the compliance part actually is. Um, So just having the conversations with everybody in the room, we're all going to sit around the table and talk about what is my role on the team, right? And how do I serve the rest of the team? And just changing that mindset. You know, you were talking about why is it so difficult and cumbersome that there's resistance to change? Because look, it's, it's true in so many different areas, but a lot of the resistance we get is it's going to add more work and I don't know how to do it yet. Right. Exactly. I, I, I have a few things that I try to keep my mind on. Um, and I develop these theories, uh, just through resistance and having to push through resistance as a quality manager, you know, over the years. And so the, the first thing I started to remind myself and I learned was that whatever you're asking people to do, you have to try to do 
one or both of these things. And that is to make whatever it is invisible, meaning they don't even know that they're doing it. It's that easy or irresistible. It's that important that it would be unreasonable for them to resist. So I always ask myself, is this, is this, can I make this invisible? Can I make it irresistible? Um, because that helps a lot. And, 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 and I think that too often we kind of bristle up about, I know they're not gonna wanna do this and how am I gonna push this through? Rather than just understanding, why is it difficult? Why is it difficult? I think your guest Karen said that. She said, we, we just make quality way too hard. Mm. Um, we just make it way too hard. And, and so we need to think for a minute, how can we, if we need to make this change, how can we make it easier for everyone? And to your point about humility and, and wanting to be the change agent, we want to get out of people's way. We don't want to create work for anyone. Um, you know, I also remind myself that really my job is to try to eliminate the quality department eventually, because we want the processes to be so well designed and to be so self-sustaining that we don't need a quality department to police what is going on. Um, and so we need to understand, you know, again, going back to let's use the tools on ourselves, all of the things, quality, OPEX, CI, who, whoever you are within your organization, we need to understand our position as overhead. I mean, we're just overhead and we need to minimize, you know, maximize our good impact and minimize our money suck on a company. Uh, that's really what we need to do. I mean, we just need to be con conscious of that all the time and, and humble enough, you know, other people in operations, they want to always beat the drum of we add value. What do you add? Um, you need to agree with them <laughs> as a quality professional. You need right. to agree with them. <laughs> right. Well, another uh, thing that I've observed as younger folks uh, come into the workforce and um, take over higher roles, right? Because we, we typically develop into higher roles in the organization, right? You don't don't hire a 22 year old out of college to be a vice president. Um, what I've noticed is their uh, native forms of communication are pretty significantly different, uh, ma mainly digital, right? And some of the uh, paper books that I've used at companies it's it's like the Dead Sea Scrolls or something to these new kids. You know, they're like, how do I open this? Do I have to wear white gloves? You know, what what is this thing that I'm doing here? You know, and how many trees had to die? You know, um, and I found a lot of advantage just switching over to apps for a lot of this stuff. Um, and you can do it cheaply and for free. This is one of the things that we help companies do. Uh, most people don't know that you can internally link PowerPoint. So you can create a training document that kind of feels like an app to somebody. And a lot of companies already have a license for PowerPoint for, you know, every desktop in the building. And you can just have like, here's how to do this job or here's this quality policy. And you can have a picture with a link internally and click on it and it will take you right there. Right. And just by investing a little bit into the media, uh, we've seen tremendous increases in uh, knowledge, knowledge retention and compliance, because it's not just that it's challenging to go get 
a three ring binder and, and find the right tab and flip through it. Um, it's also like a skill that's going away, you know? Um, so learning point for, you know, for me and, and for people going forward, you know, the times they are a changing and just adopting technology and methodologies that uh, are congruent with the talent you're bringing in is a great way to get you closer to what you want. It's so true. And, uh, and you know, I am, I am not um, an entry level aged person. So <laughs> I, um, I, I'm, I'm still comfortable with books, <laughs> but also technology. And I had the, the unique privilege of working in the, the definitely the most interesting uh, industry I've ever worked in. So um, I said it was automotive. I did that when I was younger and I found my way from the seatbelt manufacturing into the steel business and became partner in a place up in, in uh, Detroit. And I thought that I had seen it all in the steel business, that it's dirty and it's huge and it's heavy manufacturing and all of that stuff. I came to Florida and then I started working in logistics and learned a whole bunch of stuff. Then I got into lead acid battery recycling. <laughs> wow. I mean, there is nothing that is a different planet. The culture is a thousand percent different than anything I've ever seen before. It is the wild west. It is um, dir as dirty as it can possibly be. It is as dug in with good old boys as I have ever seen in my life. I mean, you talk about some stubborn cusses, <laughs> but the thing, but the thing I learned most about from, I learned a lot, but the thing I learned very quickly was just the most interesting juxtaposition of this old, dirty, nasty, I mean, until only recently, there were, it was being done in wide open air. It wasn't even enclosed in buildings. And so um, the process is you take batteries from cars and you put them through a hammer mill and you smash them to bits. And then you put them in like a, a water tank and the plastic floats to the top and the lead sinks to the bottom and everything else goes up in the air and you have to reclaim it. And, um, and then you remelt it and make new lead out of it is basically what happens. Well, in that environment, you have to wear a full face respirator all the time. You have to don um, all kinds of PPE. And at every break time, you take it all off. You shower, you have your break, you put it all back on, go back out. You do that two or three times a day. So um, that was just a whole different experience and, and working in that environment. But the inability to communicate was the thing that I thought was the most interesting. So you can't take your respirator off and talk to someone. So you're out in there. How do you write procedures? How do you train somebody? How do you do any of those things? And so these old sledgehammer wielding people were open to let's make videos because we can, we can film the activity and then we can overdub it with audio explaining what's happening. And that's how we'll train people because, you know, trying to teach people and that there's some um, very uh, complicated things that they're doing. They're doing chemistry. They're doing, um, they're using all kinds of electronics because, you know, a lot of things are automated. So that really taught me with at such opposite ends of the spectrum, how to take something really old, apply technology to it and modernize it. So, um, yeah, so that, that just kind of opened my eyes to so many things. And yeah, using, and, and just like you said, good old PowerPoint, 
I mean, it, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to do anything super complex to use technology and leverage it to make things really modern and, and, and not be so old school. John, I've got a PSA for you to put at the beginning of this episode. And that's if your documentation is so old, Nicolas Cage is trying to steal it. It might be time for some technology. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what I love about how you applied exactly what you talked about is on your website, you can actually buy the line-by-line -line ISO 9001, where Marnie herself will give you the line-by-line. -line. And this is what it means. This is what it's talking about. This is a how to come to terms with what you need to do. So interesting that you had that experience and then it directly applied it in the work you do today. So thank sure you. did. Thank you very much. Um, actually, it was, yeah, I, uh, the timing of COVID was was very good because I'm not, uh, I'm not good at sitting still. And COVID, I mean, I, I'm sure that you were impacted as well. You know, I, and I also really, really don't love Zoom consulting. I, I like to get dirty. I like to be there. I like to smell it and feel it and hear it and, you know, all of it. So um, I had a little extra time on my hands for a couple of months there. And I thought, what am I going to do with that? I've always wanted to learn how to do all of this video recording. And, and I've had, and also I'm a little tired of talking about ISO line by line because I do it a lot. So I thought, look, let's make this scale a little more scalable so I don't have to keep saying it over and over again. So yeah, so there were a lot of reasons for that, but I've had some really good response. And, and yeah, people, they will much more quickly click on a video that's going to tell them something than they will go through the ISO standard and try to translate it. They, that, that's a big problem. And just like you both, you talk about communication all the time the ISO standards do a terrible job of communicating um, it, that, you know, the fact that I have a career as a translator, that's, you know, probably a good third of my business, if not more, I'm just translating <laughs> ISO, it's crazy, right, right. <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah, in, in inventory 21 verse six, thou shalt not have defects more than a percentage of, <laughs> right. Like, yeah. right. ISO does that a lot. A yeah. Lot. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we've got this um, legacy culture in some places of, um, you know, mousetrap quality, right? Which is like, do whatever you want, but as soon as you touch the cheese, your neck gets broken, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and and so it's, it's like negative, punitive, um, all of the metrics are waiting for you to fail, right? And I've had some good conversations with folks around, you know, how we can kind of turn that around a little bit. But the short answer is your quality system is always going to reflect the communication skills, the attitude and the perspective of the people that are using it. And the quickest way to start turning that corner is to be a decent kind of human and care about the people that you're serving and try to communicate with them at their level and understand the mission we talked about, you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Not if you know what a blueprint is and not if you know what you're trying to build. You only have a hammer and you know, hey, hammer's not the right tool here, right? I'm joining joists, right? So in the same way for quality or CI professionals, if you have that vision and you understand the big picture and where you're trying to go and you care about the team that's getting you there, that goes a long way towards 
mitigating uh, maybe some tools and methodologies that uh, haven't quite caught up with the modern world, right? Oh, I agree. And I, and again, with the, with the establishment of a quality system, I think there's a lot, there's too much building going on in that phase. Um, when you start from scratch, instead of just recording what's happening, because very few businesses are out there making things and shipping things and invoicing for things without there being, there is a system. It's already there. You're just there to write it down. And so, um, you know, I, the, my, my biggest, my biggest peeve when I have to work with a company on a quality system is invariably I get there and they've already told everybody to go and write everything that they do down. <laughs> and, <laughs> and trying to undo that message is near damn near impossible. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, no, let's write down what we need to write down. If it was a new person, would you need to write it down for the new person? That's really the right. only litmus there is to whether or not we should write it down. Um, and, and so, and caring about people and talking to the people who do the work, you know, the other thing is the supervisor will write down how something should be done rather than the way it's being done. And so, you know, you need to hammer that out with a conversation because, you know, a, a, a an aspirational procedure <laughs> isn't, isn't a very good, <laughs> it's not a very good thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> So yeah, you got to care about the people. Go to the experts. I you y'all have talked about that on I think every episode about you know go to the experts and ask them how this works, and um, and care about them and, and listen to them. And when they try to tell you we should skip this step, we should blah blah blah. Don't just automatically resist. Hear them out because they probably have a great reason. Or if they roll their eyes or really complain about a data point, that is the the lowest hanging fruit in the world is if you just go to someone and say, what, how many pieces of data are you tracking? Show me your clipboards, whatever it is. And if you trace any one of those, I mean, there's always a jackpot. There is always a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. You trace it back and it's going nowhere. And nobody, and they've just, we've just been tracking it forever and nobody knows where it goes. Well, guess what? It goes nowhere. Like, well, my job would be a lot easier if I didn't have to do that. Well, let's stop doing it. You know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know that it's made it to air yet or not, but John and I laugh a whole lot about this comment in which companies will infect you with here's 200 lines of data to update. And we saw a post online about reaching out to your governor about climate change and what to do about it. And I wrote him like a six paragraph novel on how to hire a bunch of quality guys and count these 500 metrics and constantly update it twice a day, every day, and get that out into the world. And then when nothing changes, blame the people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's exactly right. Yeah, y'all, I just this little sidebar. I got I was um, interviewed for a job at a major bank for continuous improvement. And they said, what are you going to do? So we've got um, 500 open corrective actions. How would you tackle that? And I said, I would throw away at least 400 of them. <laughs> so <laughs> right. I didn't get the job. <laughs> <laughs> you got you. I said, you just, you have way too many. What are you doing? What are you talking about? You got 500 no, I, open corrective actions. <laughs> absolutely. I have gotten so many gems out of this episode. I can't wait to write a whole book on aspirational procedures. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, the controlling the response, right? How can you have 500 open corrective actions? That's ridiculous. You can't implement sustainable improvement at that rate. Right? No way. I've had operations where 
the processes were not stable and we could not implement statistical process control to constrain management response to special cause variation. And so what we would do is we would we would intuitively select a line that we hoped would limit our responses to one or two a week. Because one or two issues a week we can permanently solve and then they don't show back up. And it's amazing how quickly that bar comes down until you're actually your process is in control and you can use SPC to manage your business. Right. I, that's a little bit more on the technical side um, for our listeners out there of, of process management. But 500 open corrective action items, forget about it. Right. Just. I heard a, a general, Brigadier General, first uh, woman general, I think, in the Marine Corps, and they asked her, like, what's your secret to success? And she said, every day I make a top 10 list, and then I throw away the bottom eight things, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and it's true. Like, that's how to, to get lasting traction. Marty, hard to believe it's already been an hour. We've been having so much fun. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Do you have any final word of wisdom, encouragement, or advice for our listening audience? I do. I want um, more of what we're doing today. I would like to see more collaboration. I would like us to behave maybe a little bit more like craft brewers. They don't, awesome. they don't compete with one another. They collaborate and, and everything is better because of that collaboration. And so um, getting together like this, supporting each other online, sharing ideas, doing more mentoring of each other, uh, making quality cool. I think we can all do that. And if we have the right mindset, I love some of the leadership uh, tenants that everyone has been discussing on this podcast. And I just want to keep, I want to see more of it. I want to see more collaboration and more interaction uh, and, and in public so we can all consume all this content together and get better and build, build a community. Well, if you're on YouTube and you are watching us, make sure you hit that like and subscribe button. John accuses me of moving around too much on the camera, so I'm going to get all the way in your face. If you are subscribed and you're like Marnie, where you can comment on every single episode. That was the most disturbing thing that I've seen all week. Marnie, thank you so much for coming on. It was a privilege for us and a lot of fun. How can folks get in touch with you? You can email me at Marnie at MarnieSchmidt.com or you can go to my website, MarnieSchmidt.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. All right. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on for everybody out there in YouTube land. Thank you for joining us on Equality Podcast. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you.